The banking failures wouldn't be a surprise if you knew who planned it. We reveal who and why they orchestrated the collapse of these banks. It all started with Silicon Valley Bank. Soon after, Signature Bank went under, and then First Republic. These three banks wiped out almost half a trillion dollars in deposits. And if that figure doesn't quite resonate, let me put it into perspective. In a matter of months, a few regional banks lost more than the entire banking industry did in 2008. And we aren't even out of the woods yet. In fact, new research shows there are 2,000 plus banks that could soon fail. But for all the danger this situation presents, this letter isn't about the banking crisis or what it means for a financial system. It's about the extraordinary investment opportunity it brings. But to seize it, we have to think two steps ahead. Before diving into the opportunity, let's take a moment to break down what's happening. Technically, all three banks fell due to a textbook bank run. For example, SVB clients tried to take out nearly $142 billion in just two days, a whopping 81% of the bank's deposits. SVB obviously couldn't fulfill those requests and, as such, was seized by regulators. That shouldn't come as much of a shocker. Any bank would break if most of its depositors asked for all their money at once. The same goes for Signature Bank and First Republic. But those bank runs weren't so much an illness as they were a symptom of a larger problem. You see, the three banks in question had one thing in common that made their clients nervous. They were over-leveraged on long-term debt as both creditors and debtors. For example, SVB invested most of its deposits in long-term treasuries and mortgage-backed securities under the assumption that persistent low interest rates would continue. As a result, they neglected to establish sufficient hedges for those investments. The situation took an unexpected turn when the Federal Reserve abruptly reversed its stance and initiated the fastest rate hikes not seen in 50 years. In turn, the market value of that long-term debt, which backed the lion's share of SVB depositors, crashed. First Republic, on the other hand, had borrowed so much that in the first quarter of 2023, interest expenses surged 2,040% year-over-year and 153% from the previous quarter. That's a 20 times increase in debt servicing costs. No wonder their clients stormed in bunches to get their money out. While the Fed's intervention may have thus far contained further panic runs, the root cause of the banking issue remains. There are simply too many over-leveraged banks. And now they're quietly crying for help. Take PacWest. The $41 billion California bank is reportedly exploring its options for a potential sale. Its management revealed that they're in talks with several potential partners and investors. Meanwhile, according to a controversial FT report, Phoenix-based Western Alliance is also seeking help. But that's not all. Experts are now suggesting that half of the U.S. banking system is in danger of becoming insolvent. Ahmed Siru, a professor of finance at Stanford Graduate School of Business, presented a grim warning that the regional banking dominoes are falling. In an interview with The Guardian, Siru is more precise about just how many banks were burning through their capital buffers and were underwater. The estimate is shocking. Almost half of America's 4,800 banks, and the domino reaction could start any time. As another trigger, Siri points out real estate loans that will have to be refinanced at multi-fold higher rates in the next few years. Here's an excerpt from Siri's New York Times op-ed. Commercial real estate loans worth $2.7 trillion in the United States make up around a quarter of an average bank's assets. Many of these loans are coming due in the next few years, and refinancing them at higher rates naturally increases the risk of defaults. In the Great Recession, for example, default rose to 9%, up from about 1% as interest rates rose. Keep in mind, the impact of interest rate hikes doesn't occur immediately. The higher costs take time to reflect on the bank's balance sheet. Moreover, it's worth remembering that all of these rate hikes just occurred last year, and that means the full extent of this crisis has yet to be felt. It's too early to speculate what will come from this. 
There are too many unknowns and little transparency into how each bank is intertwined. Moreover, banks tend to maintain the appearance of financial health until the very last moment to avoid triggering early bank runs. Remember, just this past January, First Republic reported extraordinary earnings results and its stock surged 20%. Fast forward a few months and the stock has lost over 99% of its value. And there could be dozens or hundreds of banks, just like First Republic, keeping the bad news under wraps until it's too late. The question now is, will the Fed continue bailing out the banks? Well, it appears so. When Silicon Valley Bank went bust, the Fed launched an emergency lending facility without hesitation. And within a month, it stuffed bank reserves with $400 billion to backstop the contagion. In one quick swoop, the Fed reversed over six months' worth of balance sheet reduction. Take a look. So, it appears that Fed Chair Jerome Powell is committed to bailing out banks, even if it comes at the expense of more inflation. But here's what's even more worrying. This banking crisis isn't a result of some speculation as it was in 2008. Instead, the banks are crumbling because the Fed is removing the COVID stimulus and slowly returning its policy to normalcy. Note the emphasis on slowly. The fact that even the slightest tightening is enough to break the banking system shows that this economy can't function without the Fed's life support anymore. And we believe that was the plan all along. As we tweeted before, the Fed reduced reserve requirement ratios to 0% in March 2020. This action eliminated reserve requirements for all depository institutions. The reserve requirement ratio is the percentage of deposits that banks are legally required to hold as reserves, which cannot be lent out. It is set by the Fed to ensure that banks maintain a certain level of liquidity and stability. So, obviously, removing the reserve requirement means banks no longer need to have any level of liquidity or stability. It could have none. Do you honestly believe that the Fed didn't know what would happen when it dropped the reserve requirement ratio? The very thing that is supposed to ensure the stability of banks to zero? For more info on this fractional reserve banking system, read our letter from 2013, How the Government Borrows Money, in the link in the description. But that's not all. If a bank holds more reserves than required, it earns a much lower interest rate from the Fed on those reserves. This is how the Fed encourages banks, or rather forces them, to lend. So, when the reserve requirement ratio is zero, banks holding any reserves will likely be losing money on those deposits. That's why so many banks had to continue making bets. Any expert or talking head that thinks the Fed doesn't know what it's doing is either naive or just plain stupid. The Fed is the most powerful institution in the world. It didn't become that because it doesn't know what it's doing. In other words, the Fed has likely done all of this on purpose. It removed the reserve requirement for banks, thus forcing them to lend and invest. And then they hiked interest rates. But why? Why would the Fed do this? Well, as we told you many times before, the Fed works only to pursue its own growth and to engulf more of society into its banking system. And we believe its current goal is to consolidate all of the smaller banks to pursue its goal of direct monetary influence. And that likely means more banks will collapse and the lender of last resort will be there to step in. And that's precisely what's happened. Just ask Credit Suisse or JP Morgan, who was given First Republic Bank by the regulators. So what do we do from here? Well, remember the three counterforces holding up the dollar from the last letter? A major factor that has strengthened the dollar lately is the Fed's lead over other central banks in terms of interest rates. But today, not only are other major central banks catching up to the Fed, the Fed is now taking a step back. That creates a trifecta of tailwinds for gold. As we discussed in The Gold and Inflation Peg is Wrong, gold is mostly connected to real interest rates, 
not CPI. That is, an inflation-adjusted interest you earn from risk-free government bonds. When bond earnings rise, gold demand falls. And vice versa, when yields go down, gold becomes more attractive. So, where are real interest rates headed? There's a strong argument that the Federal Reserve will need to initiate additional quantitative easing before effectively addressing inflation. This could potentially diminish the attractiveness of treasuries, leading to an increased demand for gold as an alternative investment. After all, why invest in something guaranteed to lose money? Couple that with a weaker dollar and a coming recession that is already overdue, or arguably already here, which are the two other biggest drivers for gold, and we potentially have a perfect storm for gold to keep going higher. And given that gold hit $2,000 under the combination of two historically unfavorable conditions, inflation subduing and real rates rising, the price of gold may just be getting warmed up. Seek the truth and be prepared.